All right, is that volume okay? Can you guys hear me all right down the back? Just notice where I am, there's a fan right above my head, makes it a little bit tricky. It's loud enough? Excellent. So the, the passage that we had uh, read for us tonight by Toby, uh, it's a very familiar passage. Uh, it's one that you probably have heard around Christmas time quite often. Uh, and we visit these around Christmas time for obvious reasons. Uh, the birth of Jesus, uh, the incarnation of God, where God becomes a man, is the very reason we celebrate Christmas. Uh, it's a miracle that goes beyond much of what we can comprehend, that God somehow packages himself in full as a human being to be the substitute for us on the cross. So we're right to celebrate passages like these around Christmas time and to stand in awe of what God has done for us. And we're right to do that every week, really. But with Christmas, it's not just Jesus that gets a mention in passages like these. So remember, uh, the wise men, they get a shout-out. In fact, they're the subject of next week. Uh, we have the shepherds in Luke's Gospel, who God announces his plan of salvation to. Uh, we get Mary. She gets a pretty big role to play. In fact, we sing Mary Did You Know around Christmas time. She gets a whole song. However, the one person that is often overlooked, the one person who's often ignored, is this man, Joseph. And while he might not be the biological father of Jesus, he's still extraordinarily important. As we saw last week in the genealogy, uh, Joseph, he's critical because he provides the essential link to the throne of David. So through Joseph, Jesus is the fulfillment of the king who will sit on the throne forever that was promised to David and is a crucial link back to the promises of Abraham as well. So Joseph, for all intents and purposes, he is a pretty key player in the story of the Bible. And as we'll soon find out, God in his sovereign grace uses this man remarkably. And it's in a way that I think you and I might miss if we're not looking carefully enough. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, firstly, we, we barely know anything about Joseph, right? He, I can't remember the last time I've spoken to anyone in a theological conversation going, hey, do you remember Joseph, you know, adoptive father of Jesus? In fact, I don't remember ever having that conversation. Uh, we kind of ignore him because he isn't the biological father of Jesus, so Mary kind of gets all the praise there. Um, and the Bible itself actually says very, very little about this man. In fact, Joseph's last appearance in the Bible is in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus, as a 12-year-old, he gets left behind by the big caravan of people, and you know they, they come back and they find him in the temple. And over there is when he says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? That's the last we know of Joseph, at least being alive and present in his family in the Bible. Uh, Joseph is long gone. By the time we reach Jesus' public ministry, he gets no mention. And this has led some to believe that perhaps uh, he's died by this point. Uh, but we don't know. There's too much of that is speculation. We're not sure, but he doesn't get a huge amount of mention beyond these kind of Christmas passages. Now, I think personally this is an absolute shame, and I'm hoping tonight to convince you of this too, because you see, despite his seemingly small role in the story of Jesus, uh, Joseph was an incredible man. And what we have before us is an amazing story, a story of a man who uh, in the Bible is described as righteous. He's willing to care for his fiancée despite what the situation looks like before him, humanly speaking. 
a narrative of a man who, even before God intervenes, was willing to go above and beyond the call of duty to protect and care for someone who had deeply hurt him. A narrative of a man who, after God steps in, after God announces himself to Joseph, immediately obeys and immediately submits to the Lord in complete trust. And this submission, this obedience that Joseph demonstrates meant that he would have had to endure public shame and misunderstanding from the people around him. And we'll see what I mean uh, by all of this in a moment. Uh, But as we launch off into chapter one, uh, the rest of chapter one here tonight, how about I pray and then we'll get into our points. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this evening, to be challenged and stretched by your word. Lord, speak to us through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit as we meditate on your word tonight. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have an outline, uh, we're going to crack on straight up at point one. Uh, Mary's pregnancy leaves Joseph stuck between a rock and a hard place. So the passage today, uh, it begins as a kind of second introduction to the gospel. Right, so we had the first introduction in verse 1. We have a second introduction here in verse 18. Uh, in verse 18, Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And literally it could read, but this is the genesis or origins of Jesus the Messiah. Now, for those of you who were here last week, does that sound familiar? This is the genesis of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Uh, The word birth, as we read in verse 18, uh, this is the birth of Jesus, it's the same word as the word genealogy back in verse 1. And so effectively, Matthew has given us two introductions to the gospel here. One is an introduction about where Jesus came from historically. So we have the genealogy showing his roots, linking back through Joseph. But tonight, we have this second beginning to the gospel, which is Jesus' actual birth. Two beginnings, one historical and one kind of telling the literal background of how Jesus was born. So once Matthew has established the lineage of Jesus, uh, he proceeds to tell the amazing story of a man who is stuck in a very tricky situation. And what happens in the following verses are these words read by Toby this evening, uh, I think are actually quite extreme and it's very easy to miss. You see, in the rest of Matthew 1... We have a narrative of a man uh, which, when understood correctly, uh, seems to have the power to leave God's plan of salvation in jeopardy. So much is hung up on what Joseph does in these verses, and yet, sadly, I think we overlook them. We're prone to missing the the stomach-churning moments that happen in these few verses because we're so familiar with the Christmas story. We kind of breeze over them. We're so familiar with the nativity and and the baby being... uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit and all of that. And so I think the gravity of this situation, the gravity of it socially, uh, politically, uh, emotionally, and even theologically is so often missed. And I think it's a real shame. And I'm hoping that by looking at these verses again tonight in a bit of detail, we will regain some of that awe that we have for God in his sovereignty, for God in his patience with us, as he works his purposes throughout the backdrop of a messy human history. So let's take a look at what I mean by this. So firstly, to get what's going on in this scene, we have to have just a very brief understanding of what Jewish engagement looked like. 
because it's very different from our uh, view here in the 21st century. Uh, when I chose Annie, uh, my wife, uh, to be engaged to me uh, about 10 years ago now, the most difficult part in the process of getting engaged was finding a ring. Right, the exorbitant expense involved, uh, picking a rock. Um, if you know diamonds, you probably know the four C's of diamonds, colour, cut, clarity and something else, carrot. Um, honestly, I didn't even know these were a thing. I just thought a diamond was a diamond and it all became this overly complicated uh, exercise in learning what to do. But once I chose the ring, um, that was it. That was the biggest kind of part of the ordeal of getting engaged uh, that I had to participate in. Once it was in my hand, glistening, ready to go, all I had to do was bend the knee and propose to this woman. I didn't have to tell anyone. Mind you, I did tell my father-in-law beforehand, and I would recommend continuing that practice, but the reality is, in the 21st century, you don't have to do that. Uh, you didn't have to sign any documents. You didn't have to prove anything to anyone. All I had to do was bend on one knee, and even then you don't have to do that even more, um, and pop the question. That's it. And even then, legally speaking, after she said yes, after we were uh, officially engaged, it meant nothing. If she realised, for example, that I squeezed toothpaste from the middle of the tube, or that I'm really into Korean pop or something else weird like that, she could very easily have just thrown the ring in the bin, tossed it out in the river, and the relationship could have been broken off, just like that. And the only real consequence would be a broken relationship that's no different to breaking up after dating. Yeah, perhaps there, there might have been a little bit of public shame uh, from friends, friends and family that knew that we were going to get married and all that. But there was nothing either of us, us really had to do to get engaged or to break it off. It's a commitment uh, that in the 21st century is entirely private. It's between you and the person you're getting engaged to. Now, this wasn't the case if you lived 2,000 years ago in Jewish circles. See, to be engaged in Mary and Joseph's time, this was a legal matter. Uh, if one was to call it off for whatever reason, uh, perhaps Mary squeezed from the middle of the tube or was also into Korean pop, it, it had to be done in writing. Right? And this was effectively the equivalent of a divorce paper uh, to the proper authorities. So for all intents and purposes, engagement uh, and even marriage was a much bigger deal in the first century than it is now. Uh, more than this, back then, uh, a Jewish betrothal period was for about one year, 12 whole months. And interestingly, during that time, each party uh, would call the other husband and wife. We actually see that in tonight's passage in verse 19. Uh, Joseph is considered the husband of Mary. Uh, but don't be fooled, because despite this fact, despite the fact that they were considered husband and wife, uh, they remained apart. Uh, usually they'd stay in their parents' houses, and they certainly had no sex, no consummation of the marriage, until such a time that the husband ceremoniously carried his bride away after the wedding feast. Now, this 12-month uh, engagement, it served some practical functions as well. And if you did uh, Biology 101 in school, you'd know how long it takes for a baby to grow and be born. Nine months, right? I hope we all know that. Nine months for a baby to be born. And so this 12-month this waiting period actually served some very practical functions. Right? It, it served to, to prove, amongst other things, that there was a faithfulness from the woman, that there was 
to some degree, a, a virginity for the woman. She hadn't fallen pregnant yet. And knowing this, so knowing everything that we've, we've just learned about Jewish engagement, you can probably begin to imagine what may have been going through Joseph's mind when he found out during this engagement period that Mary was clearly pregnant. I mean, he certainly knows it's not him. So naturally, what, what would you be thinking? You know, who's the father? Who, who is the father of the child that's in there? If, if you put yourself in his shoes for a minute, can, can you imagine how being an orthodox, God-fearing Jewish person, can you see what this looks like? There wasn't IVF in those days. You didn't fall pregnant from shaking hands or giving a steely gaze or anything like that. Outside the ordinary means of a man and woman uniting together, uh, for Joseph, Mary's pregnancy had no other possible explanations. Can you see why on occasion it pays to give a bit of special attention to these passages? You see, we might be all too familiar with them and skip over some of these things that we suddenly realise are really out of kilter. Uh, this tension, it's, it's so often overlooked, it's so often overshadowed because it wouldn't make for a very nourishing Christmas story. And so we get this kind of cute little nativity scene and we breeze past all this. And yet the reality is there is an extreme tension in this passage by the time we hit verse 18. And yes, while, while Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, we are told that, we know that. The only reason we know that is because Matthew broke the fourth wall to tell us. Joseph, sure as anything at this point, would have had no idea what had just happened. No other possible explanation for Mary's pregnancy other than her betrayal of his trust. This is an, ex an extremely tense situation. It's an extremely embarrassing situation to be in. And the question is, what would Joseph do? What should Joseph do? I mean, put yourself in his shoes for a minute. What, what would you do in this situation? And there's no easy answer to this, unfortunately. And given uh, what we know, that um, all these events, they're, they're providentially wrapped up in God's plan to deal with the problem of sin, right? The baby in Mary's belly is the king of the universe, the creator of all things. There's a lot more wrapped up in here than we might have given at first glance. And so this takes us to point two on the outlines. Joseph's decision affects a whole lot more than just himself. Now, life in general is full of tricky decisions. Uh, the reality, though, in my life, most of my decisions are fairly trivial. Uh, do I fill my car up with E10 or 95? What's the difference between the two? I get advertisements telling me to do one and then the other one. Which one's better for the car? Should I listen to music as I drive to work or should I listen to an audio Bible or a podcast? Or perhaps the bane of my existence, when Coles is out of Vitabrits, do I choose to endure the pain of eating wheat bicks for a while? You see, there are moments in life that, that are trivial, but there are moments in life that really matter too. Significant things like, should I get married or not? Should I buy a house or not? Should I change careers or stay on the same path? Should I choose to study in the near future? Should I adopt a child or foster a child? All of these answers, uh, they were included in a research paper by the University of Technology in Sydney. Uh, they're considered some of the top 20 biggest life decisions one has to make, and they're often wrapped up in a huge amount of stress. 
They play a significant role in the lives of anyone who's ever had to make these decisions. Now, Joseph's situation, undoubtedly, he has a massive decision ahead of him. But his decision, uh, humanly speaking, from, from our perspective, has far greater consequences for the rest of humanity. You see, in order to really grasp what's at stake here, uh, beyond what even Joseph understood when he was doing this, uh, we have to understand the importance of who it is that's in Mary's womb. So firstly, the the genealogy of Jesus that we looked at last week is linked to the royal throne of David. Uh, All of this is contingent upon Joseph being Jesus' adoptive father. In other words, without Joseph on the scene, Jesus' claim to the throne of David begins to come under threat. It all begins to fall apart at the seams. Without Joseph, Jesus would have no claim to the throne unless there was someone else to step in and marry Mary and be the father in that same lineage. And failing this, the story of salvation, at least from from our perspective, it kind of begins to unravel. It's really quite terrifying. In verse 19, uh, we should be thinking, if we didn't know the end of the story, that, that Jesus' claim to the throne here is in grave danger. Uh, Verse 19, I'll put it up on the screen if you like. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph's plans involved divorcing Mary, breaking off the engagement. And amazingly, Joseph was planning to do this, uh, which just shows what character this man has, in a way that was quiet, that didn't unleash his unbridled anger or grief onto Mary. He wasn't going to threaten to do this publicly, even though he had every right to do it that way. In fact, under a traditional Jewish law, um, Joseph could have cranked this up to the next level and requested her death. Because the penalty under Jewish law for a woman who was caught in adultery is being stoned to death. And although this practice, it wasn't as common in the first century for a whole number of reasons, Joseph, if if he was a real stickler for the law, he could have requested this. Had he held on to his grief, he could have easily sought for this strict punishment for Mary under the law. And I find this incredible because as of verse 19, if you didn't know the end of the story, you begin to realise, once again, humanly speaking, I have to clarify this, right? God is sovereign. He knows all of history. He orchestrates all of history. But if we look at this from a human perspective, you can see Joseph could have ended God's plan of salvation right there and then. He could have killed God's Messiah before he'd even been born had he flipped his lid over Mary's apparent infidelity. Verse 19, it should send shivers down your spine when you realise the enormity of what it could mean. But thankfully, as I've said, we worship a God uh, who is far, far bigger and greater than this. We worship a God who organises all of history. And in his providential care, he chose the right man to be engaged to Mary. Because you see, Joseph was a righteous man in verse 19. He was a man who was willing to do right by Mary and himself. He was a man who would find a, a solution that worked without resorting to any extreme measures, such as stoning to death or relying on his emotions to dictate how things should pan out. Now, the NIV, uh, unfortunately, it obscures this idea uh, just a bit. So if you look on the screen there, it says that Joseph was faithful to the law. Uh, But I think that's an over-translation. 
Because you see, Joseph, if he's being faithful to the law, right, if he was to follow the law to a T, then technically speaking, uh, he should have had Mary and little unborn Jesus still in her womb, stoned to death. But I don't think that's what Matthew's trying to say here, strictly. I don't think that's what he had in mind. Uh, and to point this out, it's worth looking at pretty much every other English translation ever written on this verse, because every other translation says something along the lines of Joseph was a righteous man, right? Or he was a just man. If Joseph was faithful to the law, as the NIV says, if he followed it to a T, then Mary almost certainly should have been stoned to death. Or at the very least, he would have had no issues divorcing her in a somewhat horrific and public manner. I mean, the child isn't even his, right? So as far as, as far as Joseph is concerned, Mary, she's been unfaithful to him. She's been gallivanting around the place with another man behind his back after they were legally and publicly engaged to one another. And so when we consider the NIV's faithful to the law, I don't think we're meant to take home the idea that he was strictly faithful to the law, that he followed it exactly. Rather, in the context of this story, in what follows... I think Matthew's leaning towards a moral righteousness, a compassion here, rather than a strictly legal righteousness. And you get this from the way he ties righteousness to this idea of divorcing Mary quietly. Now, there is a legal component to it with how this affects him. He wants to separate himself from any wrongdoing, so divorcing her would do that as well. He is a righteous man in that sense. But I think Matthew's also pulling out a moral righteousness here as well. It lends itself to a moral righteousness displayed in his care for Mary in what I think is one of the most amazing acts of self-restraint. Not taking her to the cleaners, not lashing out on his emotions. Rather, he chooses to have compassion and he chooses to divorce her quietly. So by all accounts, Joseph, he made a good decision here. He, in, in many ways, is a really, really good guy. Uh, He is a righteous man. And yet even despite his righteous intention, God steps in because he's got even better plans. He has other plans for Joseph. And like all of us, Joseph, we see in here, needs God's grace and he needs God's intervention in his life just as much as all of us. And so this brings us to the final point. God intervenes and Joseph obeys. Well, have you guys ever had um, a last-minute change of plans? Uh, one that, you know, you put all this effort into, you work up this, this big plan, and then all of a sudden it's just rug pulled out from underneath you? Uh, I suspect with COVID, yeah, come on over here. I suspect with COVID uh, and other, other things over the last two years, uh, like snap lockdowns, border closures, and constantly changing uh, requirements regarding COVID, Many of you would have had to deal with various kinds of last-minute change of plans, perhaps in your schooling, in your workplace, wherever it may be. Uh, I know I certainly have. Uh, The last four holiday plans have been scrapped and gone right at the last minute. Uh, One of these was about 10 years in the making. Well, for Joseph, after considering all of his options, after going through everything that was on his mind, landing on a quiet divorce as the best way forward, which is probably a very, very difficult decision to make, God comes onto the scene and gives him one more option to consider, a last-minute change of plans. 
And here God speaks through an angel to Joseph in a dream. If you've got your Bibles, read with me uh, from verse 20. But after he, Joseph, uh, after Joseph had considered this, divorcing Mary quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God lays down the facts for Joseph. He asserts that this child is indeed a miracle from God, a miracle immaculate conception that was in fact predicted by Isaiah hundreds of years earlier. That's where the quote is. More than this, the angel gives a pretty solid reason as to what this miracle means for him and for Mary and for you and I and the rest of the world. He says, She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus' name, when you break it up into its parts, uh, it's, it's another name for the word Joshua, which means God saves, right? So Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph wakes up. He does what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And I find this absolutely astonishing. You see, by doing this, by, by staying the course, right, for Joseph uh, to take Mary to be his wife, by giving full obedience and submission to God under these circumstances, his legal righteousness in the eyes of everybody would have been tarnished, gone, just straight down the drain. By obeying God in the sight of all those around him, uh, he was effectively admitting, you know, admitting in inverted commas, the finger quotations, admitting that he is the dad, that he broke their betrothal vows. He actually consummated with her before they were married. By obeying God, he was effectively partaking in Mary's shame, falling pregnant outside the bounds of marriage in the eyes of all those watching. He was putting this shame upon himself as well by following God. And yet, this is how God worked in this scenario. In fact, God works like this quite a lot. There's almost a certain level of shame and scorn to carry in the eyes of the world for the one who faithfully follows God's commands. So while Joseph had a good plan, God had a better plan. And yet obedience to this plan came at a huge personal cost. Now, we know that both of them didn't break any laws. We know that, that this baby was a miracle of the Holy Spirit, but hardly anyone else would have. And so, so Joseph and Mary, to bring about the saviour of the world who would save his people from their sins, who would be a miracle of God literally coming to dwell with us as one of us, Emmanuel, Joseph and Mary had to endure the, endure the embarrassment of worldly shame, being completely misunderstood. And in the case of Joseph voluntarily giving up his status as a quote-unquote righteous man in the eyes of all the people because of his love and his obedience to God. Night Church, following God faithfully, to give God this kind of obedience, it, it calls for something radical. And so this evening as we wrap up, I, I want us to consider this. 
uh, to consider Joseph, who by my estimates, uh, from what I see in today's passage, was a far godlier man than I will ever be. This was an amazing man. He was a man who didn't take out his frustration on another person when he could have. He was a man who decided to love someone who at first glance had deeply wounded him. And yet, and yet, even this man needed God's grace and intervention in his life. By doing this, by giving full obedience and submission to God, he would have absolutely endured the judgment of others. You see, following Jesus, there there is a cost to it. And to some degree, we must count this cost. Uh, Being faithful to God's commands, living a life that honours him, uh, a life that says no to sin and yes to giving up some things that we may have pursued that were hindering us. Being a Christian who lives a life that is consistent to your calling, it will be embarrassing at times and shameful to the world around you. I mean, people will misunderstand you. They will mock you for the things that you do. Uh, Just this week, in fact, several days ago, uh, Annie, she was invited uh, by a colleague uh, to a water painting class. Um, They're pretty close friends, and they thought this would be a nice um, friend-building exercise. The problem was that this water painting class was held at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So naturally, Annie said that, unfortunately, she couldn't make it uh, because that's when she goes to church. And she wasn't willing to budge on that. And her best friend, uh, with, with the best intentions, they, she was still pretty upset by this. And she joked, uh, saying, come on, you know, can't God wait? Of course, God can wait. You, you can come do this with me. Have you ever had moments like this? When people say, oh, you don't need to follow God on this or that. God can wait. See, being a follower of Jesus, it can cost you social dignity and can cause some embarrassment. And if this happens to be you, and I'm hoping it will be, if you haven't experienced those moments, they will come as a faithful follower of Jesus, well, I want to say that you're in good company. Because you see, the gospel, the gospel is one of inverted priorities in many ways. Uh, Matthew, the, the guy that wrote this book, he's a tax collector. He was, he was someone that the Jewish people hated, heaped shame upon. And Matthew's all too keen to point out that the gospel is one that turns everything upside down. And if you listen to morning church sermons as of next week, Steve will be going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to take us through just very quickly some of the Beatitudes uh, from chapter 5. You have things like, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst, filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so all I can say for Joseph who probably endured all kinds of shame by taking Mary to be his wife, pregnant outside the bounds of marriage in a conservative Jewish culture. And for Mary, who would certainly have been insulted and misunderstood by, because of her miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit, all I can say is in light 
of understanding these gospel priorities is, is amen. And so as for you, as you consider your priorities, as you consider what it means to carry the weight of the gospel in a world that hates Jesus, in a world that thinks God can wait, you don't have to follow him, in a world that thinks that you're stupid and you're foolish for believing that you need to be saved from your sin. As you consider these things, I want to ask, are you willing and ready to bear the burden of uninvited insult and embarrassment for wearing the crown of Christ? Are you willing to say no to the things that hinder your faith? Or the sins that corrupt your life, are you willing to set them aside? And instead replace these practices with things like godliness and obedience that we see in Joseph. And to buck the trends of the fleeting pleasures of the culture that we live in. Are you willing to endure all things for the sake of the one who died to take away your sin? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage today, this part of Matthew 1. We thank you that in it we have an example of a man who, though he was a righteous man, still needed intervention to follow your perfect plan of salvation through the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in his obedience and submission to your will, he was willing to endure misunderstanding for the shame and shame for the sake of following and honouring you. Well, please help us this week as a church to faithfully submit to your word each and every morning and help us to live a life that honours you enduring the inevitable shame that comes from following you. And Lord, help us to know the full forgiveness that we have in Christ because Jesus himself endured the scorn and the embarrassment and the shame of the cross for our sake and your glory. And this we pray in his wonderful name. Amen.